Hello, I'm Dr. Kernan Mannion, and you're listening to Physician Interrupted. This is part two of our series on the North Carolina Medical Board, entitled North Carolina Medical Board Obstructs State Performance Audit. Despite NCMB's crafty objections, auditors' troubling findings portend licensee challenges to its procedural violations. This is part two of a series on the state auditor's blocked performance audit of the North Carolina Medical Board, which we'll abbreviate as NCMB. The fact of a state professional licensing agency actually blocking the elected state auditor from evaluating their investigations department and its internal protocols and assurances of compliance with state and federal laws has profound implications for all professionals who require some form of state licensure. Because without assurance that a state agency or an organization that's been given a state function is performing in a fully fair, accountable, and non-self-serving manner, there is no guarantee that that agency has not in some way veered toward self-interest and even potential weaponization of its powers. This is especially true in any state agency or designated function, such as NCMB, that operates with utterly no governmental oversight and complete immunity from suit. In this piece, we explore NCMB's pushback against State Auditor Beth Wood via a cluster of hollow objections, the purpose of which seems none other than to delay scrutiny with the potential for spoliation of evidence, and likely also to stir up some legislative and governor support for not supporting the auditor's investigation and preventing the audit from proceeding behind a pseudo-valiant campaign to protect physician and patient privacy. We see the preliminary observations and findings she was able to make from a very limited data set, less than 5% of the records, and at that, most unusable, that she could access. And we explore the overall rationale of the auditor's duty and why this particular performance audit is so critically important with profound implications, not only for NCMB and the physicians it regulates in North Carolina, but for every medical board, so-called physician health program, and every licensed physician in the country. Even more broadly, it potentially has as much significance as the FTC versus NC Dental Board decision in 2016, in which the U.S. Supreme Court determined that the North Carolina Dental Board was guilty of an antitrust violation. And even though an alleged state agency supposedly protected from suit, it was not, in fact, so protected. It likewise has major implications for the mandatory role of active state oversight, as articulated by the FTC guidance issued to all occupational licensing boards in 2016 after that Supreme Court decision, and whether and what federal laws apply to a state medical board. This story bears following. Whether it proceeds or is blocked, it has profound importance, and if blocked, 
it is likely that federal intervention would ensue. A brief recap of part one of NCMB's block state uh, uh, auditor's performance audit. North Carolina Auditor Beth Wood posted her scathing report on her blocked performance audit of purported state agency, the North Carolina Medical Board. And I say purported, and we explored a bit of that in Part 1, and we will elaborate on that subsequently. Her department attempted to conduct a performance audit specifically of its investigations division. NCMB's executive director objected. It's not clear whether the president of the medical board, Dr. Michaud Kilpatrick, was consulted. As president, she officially represents the actually appointed members of NCMB and is ultimately the person responsible for this agency's compliance with law. If she concurs with Executive Director Henderson's position, keep in mind Henderson is an employee of the board as Executive Director, then she holds responsibility for all actions that ensue from this decision. If the auditor or another investigatory agency were to find that NCMB violated state or federal law in its procedures, she and the entire board could face the direct consequences in the event of malfeasance, particularly if it is criminal malfeasance, no state immunity applies and no insurance covers the criminal liability of that board. Ms. Wood said she'd go to the General Assembly, the legislature, to get their clarification of her authority, and presuming they'll support her, which is iffy, as you'll subsequently discover, she'll come back with the equivalent of a court order for NCMB to comply and to let her examine whatever she needs to examine to complete her performance audit on behalf of the state and its people, which, of course, includes its licensees and the patients of all North Carolina medical licensees. So as you can see, this has immense implication for all physicians in and out of North Carolina, and I would dare say for the entire patient population in the country. Ms. Wood apparently began the audit in early 2022 and sought to review NCMB's investigations protocol and its case records for the prior two years, beginning and ending in mid-year periods. All investigations that they do are contained in a curiously named 1984-ish sounding database, ThoughtSpan. NCMB alleges they're prohibited from providing her access. Now, this is the state auditor. But they offered her a curious exception. If she defined herself as a consultant to them, then she could have access, which, of course, makes no sense. And she explained why she can't enter as a consultant, as that ties her hands and she can't be independent. NCMB probably knew this was a ploy to tie her up in restrictions behind a facade of reasonableness. So NCMB proffered a whole bunch of excuses. They give a cascade of excuses for opposing her audit. For example, you're not authorized to oversee us. You're not authorized to see our privileged and confidentiality protected material. You just don't understand how investigations work in the medical world. You're picking on us. So she calls bullshit on all of them. They say they're willing to hire their own group to come in and examine, and then they'll let her know how stellar they are. 
We'll come back to this crafty proposition in a subsequent piece. Likewise, too, the discussion of the supposed reasonableness, including legal uh, bases for each of MCMB's resistances to the audit, each of those deserves their own discussion. But they also need some preliminary understanding of who and what this board is. What is a medical board? And what is the North Carolina auditor's right and duty? So as not to overload you, the listener and the reader, we cover that also in a separate piece. Now, wonky policy stuff and statutory bullet crossfire are not everybody's cup of tea. But as I hope you'll discover, this could be a fine time to expand your repertoire. So there's a standoff. Mr. Henderson, NCMB's executive director, says we're sticking by our guns, we're not cooperating. And seemingly deferential to the impartiality and the sagacity of the deciders of North Carolina law at the General Assembly, let's let the legislature decide the rightful interpretation of our respectful laws. Now, he is quoting a certain statute regarding the medical board, and there is also a statute regarding the North Carolina auditor's duties and rights. We'll also drill down on those when we get to some of the policy wonky stuff. This is the same sort of runaround that NCMB gives licensees and counsel. They demand to be the the inquisitor, and they refuse to be the inquisitioned. It's definitely a reversal they're not familiar with, and clearly it's a bit uncomfortable. But they plant in their reply, as you will see in the audit, and I've posted a link to that audit, they plant in their reply the curious proposition to the effect, since you don't know anything about medical licensing boards, Miss Wood, and how they really need to run, laws be damned, How's about we get our own auditor and let them give you the answers you need and convince you we're all clean? So we'll come back to this creative ploy in a section entitled NCMB's Sly Offer of its Engaging an Independent Auditor. So coming back with a subpoena and the report, she says, okay, I'll go to the legislature and ask them. Now, Who in the hell knows what that process is? How do you ask a legislature for an interpretation? Now, I'm not a savvy school of government guy, but the thing seems like an intentional bureaucratic ensnarement. And even if the legislature had some mechanism to hear and rule on jurisdictional concerns like this, how long would that process take? In various news pieces, she seems to say, I'll get a subpoena, a court order. But again, is the court the correct route? I hope she can get a state governmental scholar, let's say somebody from the UNC School of Government, which puts out some excellent material, to give her some input. That is, as long as NCMB hasn't tied up everyone there with some sort of consulting agreement that then prevents them from serving as a consultant to the auditor. It appears NCMB, like many medical licensing boards around the country, has a penchant for hogging the whole available legal population of experts. So a doc has an extremely hard time of 
finding competent and assertive representation. And by the way, it was a tough challenge even before that. But in the interim, the auditor makes some observations and conclusions. She makes three main observations and draws two highly consequential conclusions from the limited material that she's seen. Her observations. Number one, the first thing that's clear is this. NCMB conducts a lot of investigations. And yet it's also well established, I might add, that they have no Zippo oversight. The auditor established that in two prior scathing reports back in 2014 regarding NCMB's failed oversight of NC Physicians Health Program and its own complete absence of government oversight. I mention this here because one gets the sense that that didn't sit too well and NCMB's got an axe to grind. 4,432 complaints over two years. You have to frown and drop your jaw and say, what? NCMB reports that they conducted 4,432 investigations over a two-year period being examined. Now, on my first read, I presumed, and I was mistaken, that here an investigation surely must broadly include amongst them this pro forma processing of nuisance complaints or of those that are entirely out of their jurisdiction. You know, for example, just writing a significant number of form letters in response to crackpot complaints from chronically disgruntled people or from somebody who's got a vendetta and wants to use the medical board to tie up a licensee in a prolonged and costly battle that has nothing to do with their professional performance. Surely it can't mean mobilizing an investigator and opening a case file, can it? That would be six investigations a day. It certainly wouldn't take long to max out your investigator personnel's caseload capability. But because of NCMB's complete shutout of the auditor, we just don't know. Can this really be accurate? How does this stack up with other states and the number of complaints about physicians? My quick math indicates that the ratio of yearly complaints, so 2,200 on average, to actively practicing docs in the state, which is about 30,000, makes that a ratio of one complaint per 15 docs. Is that ratio that high in other states, or do we have a unique problem with North Carolina's doctors? What about complaints against North Carolina dentists? Is that ratio the same? What about North Carolina nurses? What about North Carolina lawyers? Because, geez, the, the 1 to 15 ratio would probably be reversed. Is there any chance that this agency is opening unwarranted investigations on minor matters? turning molehills into volcanoes and then using that to strong-arm their way into full-scale SWAT team raids? Something's out of whack. Might this be worthy of a state auditor's scrutiny? Hmm, one would certainly think so. Second, she notes that NCMB will not cooperate with her. We see that basically from the get-go, NCMB refused to cooperate. There were a handful of records, about 5% of the total, 
that the auditor's office was graciously allowed to review. But even here she noted that they were so heavily redacted that the auditor found them useless for the purposes of the audit. Now, let me just say, wondering here for a moment, hmm, would the IRS permit that if you were audited? Would the DOJ permit that, the Department of Justice, if they wanted to determine if you were running a racket? I don't think so. The third observation that she makes, and we see that NCMB offers multiple specious rationales for refusal. That's a valid observation. What's going on here? And we see that there are essentially three. And the way I summarize them, I feel that the first one is sort of a paired objection. The first one, 1A, you don't have the legal authority over us because our statute says we have to protect these records. But then again, we can share them with other people with less confidentiality assuredness, and we can even send out the entire file on any doc to any address that includes the word board in it. (laughs) 1B, and on top of that, We're not going to let you review them because they're exquisitely confidential, because they contain privileged and confidential protected health information. Now, we're going to come back to this notion of confidentiality a bit later. But here they're really saying we ourselves don't have to protect confidentiality. And we're also saying we don't trust yours. But it could be that it's not her confidentiality they don't trust is that they're not confident that if she finds something that could be damaging, and she will, that they would have the persuasive powers to get her to let that slide. That's what they're not confident in. Number two, you're picking on us. This is their second suspicious rationalization. You're picking on us. And you're holding us to a higher standard than you do other North Carolina licensing boards. And then they go on to say, number three, no medical board in the country has an investigations protocol, so why are you making a big deal of it? Now, what's the validity of their rationales? They said, we'll pick these apart later because to understand them, you really need to have a deeper understanding of the nature of both the office of the state auditor and this unusual, independent, non-overseen, completely immune from suit, not a state agency, medical regulatory entity known as NCMB. And as I said, the auditor brings uh, forth two conclusions from this blocked audit. Number one, Apparently, North Carolina Medical Board has no standardized investigatory protocol. That means they're winging it. And number two, it's violating established state law governing the permission to extend its investigations in about a third of the cases it investigates. Now, this, again, is extrapolated from her very small sample, which is all they'd give her to work with. At that The scant records were so heavily redacted that they were useless for examining their practices on a policy and law compliance basis. One-third of the investigations they're conducting while docs are having to suspend their practices are going beyond six months. And they're not 
asking or informing the doc why they need to extend the investigation. Here's something that I want to make sure we cover here, because when you do your research on this audit and this auditor, you're going to come across some recent headlines. And this was really quite shocking. Five days after the scathing NCMB performance uh, performance audit publication, five days after she posted, there's a sensational headline story discrediting the author, uh, the, the uh, auditor. So, you see, in the interim, since publishing a report, and then even my doing an initial podcast on the audit, five days after publishing it, a sensational news story was broadcasted that Miss Wood had been the driver of a vehicle that hit a parked car as she was leaving a lawyer's office holiday party on December 8th, which was three weeks prior to the audit report's release and that she was reported to allegedly have left the scene of the accident. Surveillance footage was apparently captured and appeared to show her impaired walking down the street. But she was being accompanied by a male who was seen putting her into the driver's seat of her car. Also, somewhat curiously, an Uber driver with a passenger happens to come forward with pictures, and says, oh, stop to take a picture, and the passenger I had asked me to circle the block so that we could review the accident. Hmm. There are numerous disturbing aspects to this sudden splash of stories with sensational headlines like, North Carolina Auditor Wood involved in hit and run, and an immediate chorus of vengeful-sounding politicians calling for her removal. So I encourage you listeners and readers to track down the stories and videos if desired. Just search North Carolina Auditor Wood, and they'll come up. But there's something highly, highly suspicious. I must note that this auditor now in her fourth elected term, who has commanded the highest respect from people on both sides of the aisle in North Carolina, is now having her reputation besmirched. She challenged diverse leaders and state organizations on well-documented grounds. And when I met her in person at the North Carolina General Assembly meeting, when she, in 2014, she presented her report on NCPHP, of which I had an avid interest, she carried herself with distinction. There have never been any reports or concerns about her personal or professional behavior. It's noted that this holiday party occurred on December 8th and that she was there at the party for approximately two hours. To me, first, it is highly unlikely that this lady would drink irresponsibly at a professional gathering attended by her peers. It's also unlikely that she drinks so much as to be grossly impaired within two hours. And it is most curious that a person from that gathering would actually place her in a car if she was so impaired as depicted There are so many red flags here that I'm led to believe that this was not a case of voluntary excess consumption leading to incidentally surveilled impairment. 
And I can't dispossess myself of my curiosity of the timing in the context of NCMB's adamant refusal to cooperate and her saying she would exert her authority by getting an order from the legislature to comply. Hmm. And I can't help but believe that her earlier audit of NCPHP in 2014 and her finding that it had violated the due process rights guaranteed by law of all 1,140 physicians it had evaluated over the preceding decade, and her revealing then that both NCPHP and this North Carolina Medical Board she is presently auditing had utterly no state oversight. And it would appear that those observations left these two agencies in quite a bind. Curiously, soon thereafter, after that audit was posted in 2014, NCPHB's medical director, Warren Pendergast, left the agency with no fanfare. Gone. And soon thereafter, after I had vigorously challenged the veracity of NCPHP actually conducting peer review, which is what they were saying they were doing and refusing to give all of their evaluees their evaluation record under that premise. And this is what they asserted that they were doing during this period of examination by the auditor, the entire decade of evaluations that it conducted. And this is likely what NCPHP was doing throughout, ever since its inception. What it was doing was impermissible, state-compelled, invasive forensic psychiatric examinations behind the veneer of peer review. Such activity conducted in this manner is not only impermissible, but likely constitutes the equivalent of involuntary civil commitment done by an unlicensed entity, which was NCPHP, unlicensed as a medical corporation, and an entity exclusively contracted by the state via its medical board. Hmm, could that create some sort of vulnerability? So, All of this taken together, I'm left with a deeply unsettled feeling that there's something major amiss here. Can I rule out that she wasn't simply impaired from excessive consumption or that she's been harboring a major substance abuse problem? No, I can't. But if I were to imagine a scenario where one or more parties wanted to implant that doubt so as to discredit or even to intimidate, or perhaps even to retaliate, I could imagine such. Why? Because there are some exposés of wrongdoing that wrongdoers don't want exposed under any circumstance. And I could imagine any number of elements in her recent forays with both of these agencies for which that would be quite applicable. If she was, in fact, impaired on that occasion and it was related to voluntary substance use, I hope she addresses it. If she has a medical condition, perhaps, that contributed, likewise, I hope she has excellent clinicians who can get to the bottom of it. And if neither of these 
but this is more of an unimaginable sabotage nature. I hope she has an utmost trusted inner circle of confidants and that she has access to suitable law enforcement personnel who can quickly and comprehensively study this occurrence and afford her the appropriate protection. The North Carolina auditor's overall duty is to ensure that all state entities and delegated functions comply with state and federal law. That's reasonable. And one such state entity is the North Carolina Medical Licensing Board, NCMB, which, like nearly all other boards and commissions in North Carolina, is considered to be a subordinate, an offshoot of the executive branch of government, namely under the executive branch, the governor. It seems a lot of North Carolina physicians have been under the belief that NCMB is a state agency. And apparently, we're all delusional. I sure was, just as I thought its physician health program, NCPHP, was a legitimate mental health entity. Turns out, I was delusional on both counts. Well, in actuality, I was deluded, not delusional. And here's the distinction. To be delusional is to possess a belief that the majority of other people don't have and to refuse to let go of that belief in the presence of clear factual evidence that your own belief simply doesn't hold up. But if the evidence shows that my belief, belief is a combination of what? Perception of what we see and our reasoning sorry to get so William James-like on you, is actually a correct perception and, and manifest a valid reasoning, then my belief is not delusional. And even if it doesn't go along with majority opinion, but it would still be fair to say that I have been deluded in my thinking. And you might go, huh? You see, to be deluded in your thinking looks equivalent to being delusional, but it's not. Why? Because when you switch to the active voice, you see that someone is deluding me. This is what I believe is what happened here. NCPHB and NCMB have deluded me and thousands of other physicians into believing that they're state agencies and that they enjoy the full array of immunity accorded such entities. And yet, how can a deceiving, unlicensed, somehow exclusively contracted, fitness-for-duty evaluation entity lying about its function possibly be a state agency? And how can an independent, quote-unquote, public organization, which is what NCMB classifies itself as, specifying specifically that it is not a state agency and being documented as having no state oversight, possibly be a state agency that has the full gamut of immunity and even police power. That doesn't even seem possible. In other words, it seems they've gaslighted me and the entire physician community and like, likewise the court system too. Now, one of the ways a deluder, a gaslighter, can continue to delude and to avoid detection is to make sure they silence the voices of the harmed, 
those they have deluded. And to further silence them, they parade them out as not to be believed, as crazy, impaired. They enrobe themselves in their publicly perceived good reputation, relying on the lineage of delegated authority and responsible governance that preceded them. This is fundamentally the same psychodynamic behind retaliatory threat of harm to the victim of an assault, if that victim dares to speak. It's also the same dynamic behind perpetrators who use date rape drugs to violate their victims while also chemically preventing the victim's memory retention of the event. It's a dual rape, a rape of the body and a rape of the mind. So in essence, both NCMB and NCPHP have not just misled but deluded the entire community of licensees under their terrorizing regulatory capture and gaslighted them, and done so to all of these people, including the auditor and the courts. Let's talk a little bit here about the assumption of active state governance. When you hold the belief, as the auditor did, that a regulatory entity is a state agency, with that belief comes the associated presumption that it is governed. In other words, overseen by the state and held accountable for compliance with all laws and rights, including due process. After all, that's what gives state agencies, especially those that wield some form of police power, their authority, and to which we rightfully give our respect. It's the social compact. The governed give the one who governs awesome power, with the contractual understanding that the one who governs will govern within clear parameters established by law. And that office will maintain diligent oversight over its agencies and hold them accountable by prompt intervention and punishment for their deviance from law. The punishment is not just for the harm done to the licensees, it's also because the offender betrayed the trust of the governed and causes to be questioned the trustworthiness of the governor. It is thus the governor's duty to address and hold accountable a malfeasant agency. This arrangement of oversight and accountability is rightfully considered to be a social contract. So, It's no surprise that even the auditor seems to believe that NCMB is a state agency. And we are going to examine this pivotal question of NCMB and its state agency status and implications of it being or not being a state agency in a subsequent piece. And so, therefore, the state auditor should have a right to investigate to the fullest extent whether that state agency is fully compliant with all laws and policies and is acting in a responsible, public servant manner in upholding to its people and to all other states trustworthiness in both the agencies and the very state's integrity the latter indicating its good citizenship as a state in that collective enterprise we call these United States. After all, if the purported state agency, NCMB, is not in compliance, 
the state, its presumed overseer, could be at risk of litigation or be subject to federal investigation for noncompliance with any number of applicable federal laws and then held liable for all harms. And if you violate those federal laws, worse, doing so in a manner that hurts the licensees you regulate by wrongfully infringing on their guaranteed property rights and due process rights, or harm the very public you're supposed to protect by wrongfully removing their doctor and thus their their access to health care, it could mean big trouble in terms of civil or even criminal fines, and perhaps even results in the state losing earmarked federal funds. Yowzer. But as soundly, legally based as all this is, there's a deeper concern that I believe the auditor is just beginning to explore. What happens when you privatize a state function like medical board licensing and fitness for duty evaluations and then not only permit that entity to become a secret profit center to the disadvantage of others, but allow it to be weaponized against anyone that it or its toxic circle of influence wants destroyed. And that is what I think this is about. Now, the whistleblower's mind. In essence, this auditor is exploring the core question that every whistleblower has to grapple with. What is my responsibility to confront this deeply harmful wrongdoing? What if confronting wrongdoing could jeopardize my career? What if confronting it could result in my reputation being besmirched, even in devious ways? What if by my confronting it, they may harm me physically? What if, even if I take that risk, no one comes to my aid? What if they knock me off and leave my identity besmirched? Should I take that risk? Should I just say, screw it, it's entirely hopeless? Most whistleblowers, especially those who have encountered physical and psychological harm, which seems to be nearly all whistleblowers, grapple with this. And a number of them, due to a variety of personal circumstances, may conclude that the sacrifice is just too great. And they back away, hoping that in their struggles so far they made a difference or that somehow their efforts sparked some change in the corrupt system. Sadly, unfortunately, often the corrupt system remains unchanged and even gloats at the whistleblower's retreat just as they celebrate with sadistic glee the harm they've inflicted to their challenger. A few conclude that it's their duty to keep marching forward, trusting that they'll prevail, make a difference, and even if harmed, intimidated, threatened, they incorporate that risk into their overall situational reappraisal of their whistleblowing, and they make a conscious decision what is the best way to proceed. And so in many ways, this auditor is like an internal whistleblower, but not one who's just accidentally come across something of concern or some sort of pilfering. Rather, 
a person who has literally been assigned the duty of whistleblowing. The state of North Carolina clearly enacted, at an earlier time when virtue was really valued, North Carolina made the public commitment to the citizenry of that state, the central part of its social compact with its people, that we not only promise that we'll do everything above board, citizens, we'll empower a fully independent watchdog to ensure that we are and to hold us all accountable and cause to be affected the prosecution and punishment for those who have violated the law. That, says the state of North Carolina, is our social contract with you, citizens. And what this present standoff is really about is whether this state has the balls to live up to its commitment. Sadly, as there's so much at stake, this agency's violation of federal laws, pulling the state into its impaired physician rehabilitation RICO, racketeering influence criminal organization, the state's embarrassment and financial liability for its failure of oversight that enabled its wrongdoing and harm to proceed for as long as it has, I'm inclined to believe they don't have what it takes to truly take ownership. They lack that integrity. And if that's the case, whether they continue to throw up obstacles, besmirch and discredit the auditor in the hopes of getting her removed, or find some other way to conceal NCMB's wrongdoing, hopefully, hopefully, an overseeing body like a federal agency that is charged with enforcing the applicable federal laws that have been violated, will have the temerity to compel accountability. I'm sad to acknowledge my fear that even that's iffy. But whatever the outcome of that, one thing is clear. This is no time for docs, physicians, to consider entering into such a regulatorily privatized state where their medical board runs a Gestapo operation, tracks and tallies all of the doc's faux pas, quirks, and gossip, and obstructs from undertaking a requisite and rightful investigation the only person in the state who might have some authority over it. Physicians subject to such a rogue agency risk ensnarement, and consequent loss of license nationwide, reputational destruction, and being thrust into destitution by a state-sanctioned, law-defiant despot. You've been listening to Physician Interrupted. I'm Dr. Kernan Mannion. Thanks so much for tuning in, and join us next time. Till then, stay well. <laughs>